only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Before I read our passage this evening from 1 John chapter 4, I'd like to pray for Brian and pray for the reading of the word. Join me. Father, we, uh, we come before you uh, begging your mercy upon us as the choir sang this evening. Have mercy on us uh, in the reading of your word and in the preaching of your word. We would pray that you would meet us here this evening by the power of your word, that your spirit uh, would work in our hearts, uh, not just that we would hear um, and gain new information, but that you would uh, cut us to the quick, that your word would work in power, that we would walk out in newfound obedience tonight. Um, and we pray, Lord, that uh, we would see this as our joy, that we would see this as what you have made, made us to do and be. We uh, ask your blessing on Brian, that you would uh, have him be forgetful of himself and that he would only uh, come in the fear of the Lord as he brings us the word this evening. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our reading this evening is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. 1 John 4, 7 through 12, page 1023 of the Pew Bible there in front of you. If you want to read along with me, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord. One of the things that I've been doing a lot of in the past probably six months is filling out things like views forms for presbyteries. Well, one presbytery, actually, not plural. Um, and, and things on my RUF application uh, that ask questions along the lines of what churches and preachers have been particularly influential on you. Um, obviously, I have, I don't even know where to begin with that, and that's kind of the way my answers ended up looking on both of those things. But I think that um, as I've reflected on what is it that I've taken and maybe even one of the most, I don't know if I'd say the most, but one of the most significant things that I've taken in being at this church for eight years and then serving on staff for five um, has been how I understand what it means to be united to Jesus. 
and all that that means. And there's actually a hymn written by Sandra McCracken uh, that deals, I think, that summarizes this well as far as my own thinking on it. Speaking of what it means to be united to Jesus in this grace, she says this, This grace gives me fear, and this grace draws me near, and all that it asks, it provides. I think right there, what she's probably primarily talking about is how we're made right with God. That everything that God requires of us in order for us to be made right before Him is provided for us in Jesus. And that's probably what what you'd think of as you first read that line. But I think it applies just as equally to the Christian life. That everything that God calls us to in His Word, everything that's necessary for that, He Himself provides. All that He asks of us in all of those things, He provides the means necessary for us to do those things. And again, it's all in the person of Jesus. And I bring that up, and I've thought about that in particular, um, in thinking about Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday is actually a commemoration of Jesus giving this new commandment on the night before His crucifixion in the upper room with His disciples. And what He says is this. This is John 13, 34. It says, "...a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another." Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, of course, that's one of the simplest, most concise statements of what the call of the Christian life is, to love one another. But if you look at this and take this seriously, I think you find immediately that this is impossible. To love the way that Jesus loves is something that is so far beyond us Because again, in that second part of the verse, he says, just as I have loved you. This is just before he's going to go to the cross for his disciples. How do we love in that way? We're going to fail. We do fail constantly. And I think that getting back to what is provided for us is that's given me this liberty to look at the Word of God and what Jesus calls us to even in the specific passage and say, okay, Let's talk about it. We can, we can start thinking about how we can actually do this. This difficulty, though, uh, really hit home for me in a number of conversations with high school students. I remember one in particular where this particular guy had had all sorts of struggles at school with being, in some ways, an outcast. He'd been made fun of for some stuff that had happened early on in the school year. And what I had to tell him was that, well, it looks like you've got this great opportunity to love these people that are making fun of you. And I thought, even as I said it, what an empty statement. I would hate to hear something like that if I was a high school student. And if you're here tonight, and you were the one I said that to, I'm sorry. Um, But it's not wrong. It's not incorrect. It's what Jesus calls us to. But what was missing in what I said in that moment is that Jesus Himself is the one who's going to provide the means by which we can actually obey this commandment. Because if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time we don't even have the desire to love like this, let alone the power to do it. And that's why we're going to look at 1 John tonight, because that's what he's addressing in this passage. He's addressing the question of how this type of love is actually possible. 
how we go about obeying this love. And his answer is centered in and focused on the love of God for us. The love that God has for us. And what he tells us is that we have got to grasp this love of God for us in Jesus if we're actually going to love one another. It's one of the most basic, fundamental, foundational things about Christianity that we would know and taste and believe the love that God has for us. And it's in that that we'll actually be enabled to love one another as Jesus says. What we're going to do is look at this love of God as John describes it here. If you look back to your text here, we're going to see first that the love of God originates with God. If you look at verse 7, it describes it in this way, for love is from God, as in love comes from God as its source. God is the very source of love. It flows forth from who He is. And then verse 8, one of the biggest statements in Scripture about love God is love. And of course, there's all kinds of tendencies to misinterpret that, to think that maybe that excludes His justice and His holiness. But that's not what John is saying here at all. He's saying that everything that God does is loving. Even in His holiness, even in His justice, those acts themselves are loving that He Himself is love. And the other danger with this verse is that it's quoted so often that it's empty of meaning for us. Well, God is love. Well, that's not really saying that much. So I think that the best way to to try and, and wrap our minds around this is to look at God Himself. Specifically, God as Trinity. And we probably don't often think about how the doctrine of the Trinity would actually affect the way that we love one another. But I think that's exactly what John is doing here. When he says that God is love, we know from from the whole of Scripture that God has existed from all eternity, not just as this lone God standing alone, but as one God in three persons. These persons that have loved each other and existed in this loving relationship for all eternity where we can say, God is relationship. You have this perfect love of God the Father to God the Son, and vice versa. And it's all wrapped up in the Godhead Himself. And in that way, God from all eternity is love in and of Himself. That's who God is. And so if you look down to verse 10, if God is the source of love, and is love Himself, then of course, when you start thinking about well, what's the definition of love, how are we going to understand this love of God, John's abundantly clear that it doesn't begin with our love to Him, but it begins with His love to us. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And John's going to say later in verse 19, we love because He first loved us. And again, this is one of those fundamental truths of Christianity. But what's so significant about this, though, is that it sets God, the God of the Bible, apart from all other religions. If you think about this, every other religion has some form in place where it's based on, God's love for us is based on something that we've done for Him. Some simple act of love, some good deed that we've done to somebody else, some act of love we've shown to someone else. Christianity takes that and flips it on its head and says that's absolutely impossible. 
was primary here is that God loved you. God loved you. That love is completely unearned, not based on anything that we've done or even anything we haven't done. And again, as we think about what what is this love that we've got to grasp, it's this love that's totally unearned, that comes to you in the midst of your sin, that doesn't ask you to get yourself cleaned up and present yourself in a worthy way to God, because we can't. As I've looked at this uh, this past week, I've thought some about how God interacts with His people even in the Old Testament. Again, we, we tend to think of God judging His people over and over again. But what's going on is this back and forth of God's relentless love for His people that won't allow them to continue to sin. And it's so clear throughout that that, that, that this love is not something that the Israelites have done anything to earn whatsoever, but that it comes to them completely freely based on who God is. This is the way that the Jesus Storybook Bible describes this love in the midst of our sin. It's a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Always-and-forever love. Now, huge, huge problems occur if we, if we mess this up, if we flip this around and start mistaking our love for God as something that makes us presentable before Him, the Christian life is torn apart completely. And this is what I would even challenge you with tonight, is, is to, to ask yourself, are you resting in this love of God? I doubt anybody in here would say, my love earns God's love for me. Nobody would say it in that way. But are you able to rest in this love of God? Is this something that characterizes who you are? Or are you frightful about what sort of day you had and whether or not you were obedient and now whether or not that has jeopardized your relationship with God? It's it's in those little moments that will show us whether or not we actually believe that this love of God comes first to us. And there's a connection between this and how we, live, how we love or don't love others. Whether or not you believe that this love of God is primary and comes to you first is going to affect the way you treat other people. This is what uh, Don Miller gets at. He's discussing what this looks like to understand that God's love comes to us first and not vice versa. This is what someone who has grasped this love of God would look like. He could interact with the poor and not show partiality. He could love his wife easily and not expect her to redeem him. He'd be slow to anger because redemption was no longer at stake. He could be wise and giving with his money because money no longer represented points. He could give up formulaic religion knowing that checking stuff off a spiritual to-do list was a worthless pursuit. And he could love people without expecting anything in return. That's what this love of God does, is that it liberates us to live the way that God has called us to. So we've got to grasp that this love starts with God. It originates with Him. He's the source. He is love Himself as Trinity. And it comes to us first, not our love to Him. But then we get in this passage also the most incredible statement of what God's love really looks like. And secondly, the love of God is exhibited in the cross. 
Look back to verses 9 and 10. This is worth looking at again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does real love look like? What does the love of God look like at the core? It looks like Him sending His innocent Son to the cross to die for people like you and me. That's what the love of God is. This is what John points us to. It's the Gospel. It's that Jesus was sent by His Father to live and to die for us. That's the love of God. Something that actually happened in history. That God so loved the world that He sent His Son to rescue us. That is love, says John. And this, I think really what John's getting at here is, is that we've got to understand this with, against the backdrop of God being Trinity as well. That God has existed in this relationship, this perfect relationship, the perfect love of a father to the perfect love of a son. It's been that way for all eternity. And what's emphasized in this passage is not Jesus laying down His life necessarily. And that's kind of interesting because most of the time when, when the Bible talks about an example of love, even in 1 John 3.16, the way that the Bible talks about love is Jesus laying down His life. In this passage, John says what characterizes love, what defines love is God sending His Son. He says it twice, that God sent His Son to die for us. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but parents, if you stop for a moment and think about the love that you have for your children, and know, of course, that that love pales in comparison to the love that God the Father has for God the Son. But that, this is part of what God wants us to think about here. It's that sort of love that, that would send your own child to die for a people that hated you, that had rebelled against you, wanted nothing to do with you. And that is the, you love this person, these people, enough to send your own child to do this. I mean, that, that, that kind of love almost makes you sick to your stomach to think about sending your own child in that way. It's, it, it can tear you apart to think about. God loves you so much that He sent His own Son, the Son with whom He had had perfect fellowship for all eternity, to die for your sins. Darwin described this brutal horror of crucifixion this past Sunday in his sermon. And it, of course, is one of the worst possible ways to die. But if you think about this, even worse than that absolutely horrible physical torture that Jesus endured, in that moment, He was experiencing the wrath of His own Father poured out on Him for us. That is love. This is why John uses that word propitiation here. This is an important word because it talks about not just this simple forgiveness of sins, but it talks about and speaks to this full and complete satisfaction of the wrath of God, which has been diverted from us 
to be poured out completely and utterly on His own Son. That's propitiation. The wrath of God poured out on Jesus instead of us. It's the sacrificial death of Jesus in our place in order that we would be reconciled to God. And again, it's God Himself who's providing the sacrifice. It's God Himself who has sent His Son to do this. And maybe even the greatest expression of this love, even on the cross, is in the moment when God forsook His very own Son. Not only is He enduring the wrath of God, but at the height of that enduring, Jesus cries out, quoting Psalm 22, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? His own Father turning His back on His Son in that moment. Listen again to how the Jesus Storybook Bible puts this. It makes it very, very real. Papa, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time and the last, when He spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from His boy. This is Jesus calling out to His Father in the midst of the wrath of His Father being poured out on Him for us. You want to know what love looks like? Look to the cross. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. The heart of this love of God is the sending of Jesus to die on our behalf. If you want to know what love looks like, look at the cross. Look to the Son who's been sent by His own Father to endure this wrath for us. That is love. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for us. So what does this mean for how we love one another? This love of God makes us loving people. That's what it means. This is where we can tie all this together. Throughout this passage, John's making this connection between the love of God and our love for one another. And if you notice, it's in verse 11 that he wraps this up. He's, he's just given this incredible description of the love of God in 9 and 10. And in 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then also... In verse 7, he gives us a quick command to love one another. But look at the second part of this verse. It says, Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So our love for one another is rooted in God's love for us. It's out of His love that we actually have been now born of Him and we know Him. So we've entered into this intimate relationship with Him. He's drawn us in by His love into this relationship with Jesus such that we have been born anew. That we've been born again. And John's point is that you will love because you are now a child 
of the God who is Himself love. You will love now. And this is so certain, he says, that in verse 8 he can say that if someone doesn't love, then they don't know God. And that might, that might be a little uncomfortable for us, but the, the implication here is that if you've been born of God, you're going to be like Him. It's impossible for you not to love if you've been born of God. That's how certain it is. And again, that can feel discouraging. You can look at this, especially as we deal honestly with our own struggle to love, and you, you go, do I really belong to God? And John is, is that's one side of what John is doing in this letter. But overall, his point is an encouraging one, and that's what I want us to take it as. He's saying that if you've been born of God, you will love people. It's absolutely certain. That's what happens to those that are born of God. This is just a statement of fact here. You start to look like God. Packer calls this the family resemblance. You've been born of the God who is love, and you're going to start looking like Him. I would encourage you in these next few days, as we, particularly tomorrow, recognize Jesus' crucifixion, His own death on the cross, to think about what this love is. This love of God that's come to you freely. This love of God that sent the Lord Jesus to the cross. And to meditate on that. To, to revisit that. To not, to, to, to not allow that to grow cold in your hearts. The love of God can be such a broad concept that it fails to, to sink home and make a difference in our lives because it just feels like it's, you're saying everything so you're saying nothing. But as you think about this love of God that comes to you, think about Jesus on the cross. And this is love that God sent His Son into the world. Meditate on that. Think on that. And let that spill out into the way in which you love one another. Because that's what this love is about. You will love people because you're born of God. All that He asks, He provides. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Which includes this ability to love one another as He calls us to. So come to this table tonight confessing your weakness, your own inability to love, your own need of a, of a of refreshed understanding of what this love is and grasp that love. Taste it as you eat of the bread and drink of the wine and know that this love is what put Jesus on the cross in order that we might have life. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank You for this love that is is almost too great for us to comprehend that You Yourself are love. You've existed as, as love from all eternity. And that Your love for us as sinful people is so great that You would send Your own Son for us. Father, help us to realize this more. Help us to grasp this and cling to it. And Lord, help us to love one another because of it. We pray You'd feed us now, nourish us, strengthen us to that end. We pray in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?